Inside Westminster, Chapter 224, Heads Roll. Neil Forthright and his co-host, Joanna Mead, were almost salivating at the chance to air their thoughts about that interview. Forthright's head had been buzzing since seeing it and he was determined to stand his ground at whatever cost. He'd got a personal vendetta against Sassy Sparkle as she'd used him to network when she'd been visiting London town. At that time, she was still a minor American soap actress and needed as much help as she could get to climb up the slippery pole of fame. Then it had been all coy glances and giggles. Funnily enough, the the evening after their tea at the Ritz, paid for, of course, by forthright, Sass had been on a blind date, organised by, by her friend, Princess Mariana, where she had been seated next to Prince Rupert, and the rest became what is called history. She's an out-and-out social climber who has shat on anyone who's no longer of immediate use to her, he'd kept saying to Mead, and you know how much I hate insincerity and lack of loyalty. I mean, how dare she ghost me, of all people? Beneath his ferocious facade did beat a nearly heart of gold. He was a loyal friend, a good ex, and generous to all his siblings, and he couldn't stand anyone who wasn't that. Sass had provably failed on all three accounts. But he did feel that if you live by the sword, then you should die by its blade too. Sassy was no shrinking violet and had used and manipulated everyone around her to her own ends. That was known by everyone and provable from all the press coverage given to those who'd felt the jackboot of Sass up their no longer needed sorry asses. Her father, her siblings, her previous husband and former BFFs, all of whom had been cast aside for some trifling reason all now wading in with unflattering interview after disapproving article. And now, to add insult to injury, there loomed an inquiry into the accusations that Sass had bullied their own staff and that of others whilst they were working royals. Furthermore, several nannies had huffed off, and now, most recently, their hand-chosen top aide, running their main charitable foundation, had resigned the ninth staff resignation in 18 months. And the gossips loved it and used every crumb to stoke the fires of bitter resentment and rumour. The politically correct mob were being set against the wokes and forthright had created a new band called the Wake Ups who vehemently attacked the softy, flaky mob, as forthright had come to call them, who were intent on tearing down any history that didn't fit their ideology. Never mind that slavery, genocide, famine were all taking place under their very noses and in the real present time, in places where foreign regimes were not in charge. No, this is blue on blue. Indigenous people versus their own kind. Kind. Yemen and Ethiopia were slugging it out in wars that were costing hundreds of thousands of children's lives. Thousands of migrant workers had been recorded dying building building Qatar stadiums for the up-and-coming FIFA World Championships. And, of course, not to mention the two and a half million and counting who'd died so far from the global pandemic. But no, Sassy Sparkle had been offended by some probably innocent remark about her skin's son's skin tone, and so the world's gaze had been averted to this crime against humanity. 
The comment had been a timely infringement of modern etiquette and Sass had seized the opportunity to link it to racism by extrapolation of the most dubious kind. The British in general, and their monarchy in particular, were out-and-out racists. She also linked the accusation to a supposed conversation about her son not being titled from birth, though actually he was, but not with what she deemed one that was high-ranking enough. After all, being an earl is so commonplace, and waiting till the title prince would automatically be bestowed on Edward Arthur was not acceptable. She missed no chance to build her pyre of resentment and bitterness higher and higher, and she intended to burn all those who'd done her down on its top, but at a time of her choosing. And all the while, deals were being done worth millions to be paid into their bank accounts, of course. The world really had gone mad. And that is just how the PM was feeling. I'm dealing with the biggest crisis since World War II, and all the headlines are about my wallpaper he'd said to his paramour, the beguiling Mandy, over cocktails and nibbles, served from her, her latest acquisition, a gild, gilded drinks trolley. This was festooned with delectable bites from their favourite local, so that made everything justifiable, as no air miles had been involved in its transportation from farm to fork. Organic emporium of deliciousness. What's happened to our plastic trays? quizzed Potty, not daring to ask how much this exquisite iced item had cost. They're perfect as spills and stains just scrub off. Yes, well, they were cheap and nasty, so they're gone, along with the rest of our make-do-amend tat, she'd retorted. Potty just groaned, as he'd recently had to reply to a rather terse email from some committee or other, set up, he feared, with the sole purpose of tracking down who'd paid what in this whole sorry decor fiasco. Let's hope the Europeans continue the vaccine drama, he'd wryly thought. Only burying this colossal mountain of overpriced tat is going to take some effort and enormous amounts of smoke and mirrors. These were Potty's deepest thoughts as he stood solemnly in front of the famous door, front door of Downing Street to commemorate the anniversary of the first lockdown and the consequent tsunami of deaths due to COVID-19. Potty had learnt from bitter experience that one should put the maxim think before you ink into good and constant use. And so his lips stayed grimly sealed as he held the torchlight of his mobile phone aloft. In a different capital city in the UK, Monica Monkfish and her husband, Eric Stade, were celebrate, celebrating her name being cleared of any wrongdoing in the sex scandal involving her predecessor, Alex Salmon. She'd got away with it by obs obfuscation and supposed forgetfulness, though the battering she'd taken in Holyrood was excruciatingly painful and, and embarrassing. There'd be scores to settle there, she'd thought, though for the moment she just felt unconstrained relief. Her soon-to-be nemesis, Salmon, was planning to launch a rival party to garner as much support for independence as possible. Talking about, talk about digging a hole for a friend and then promptly falling in it yourself. Monkfish was going to need every vote to retain her commanding lead in the Scottish Parliament and later in any referendum which, due to the unbecoming shenanigans and sheer vitriol played out on the Scottish nation's nightly news, had been losing support. You'll have your work cut out to recoup that, stayed, stay, stayed sagely said to which his dear wife resoundingly told him to shut the F up. Back in Never Neverland, 
Our trusty Prince Rupert had found himself a proper job, which has to be commended as their bills were mounting up, and having accused his own father of pulling up the financial drawbridge on him and Sass, he felt he'd not be able to go cap in hand for a fair while. He'd conveniently glossed over the fact that Prince Edward, Edmund had not stopped his son, son's annual allowance, as that was a mere 500000 which didn't really pay for anything these days. He'd only stopped paying for out-of-the-blue requests, but that minor detail didn't matter, as the palace would not be publicly refuting any of these claims. Anyway, 500000 was nothing. Well, not if you have the demands of a sassy sparkle to meet. Thank you.